Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guests are Mickey Daughtry and Tobias Iconis. Mickey and Tobias are screenwriting partners and co-writers of Five Feet Apart, The Curse of La Llorona, and the new Netflix film Nightbooks, a live-action feature film based on the book of the same name. The movie version of All This Time is currently in development, and Mickey and Tobias have many more projects that are in the works. Mickey and Tobias have been on the show together before, if you've listened before. And Mickey has also been on the show with Rachel Lippincott, who worked with Mickey on writing the novels for Five Feet Apart and All This Time. As I mentioned, their new film, Night Books, premiered on September 15th and is currently my favorite new movie streaming on Netflix. If you're listening, please check it out. Mickey and Tobias, welcome back. To the Writer Experience Podcast. Thank, Thank you so you. much. How are you doing? I feel like it's been a little while. I'd have to check the exact release date of when you were on last, but I feel like a lot has happened in the world and especially in regards to COVID. Tell us how you're doing and how things have changed in the film and TV industry. Ooh, COVID. We definitely learned a lesson, not a lesson, I guess, but COVID really affected Nightbooks, funny enough because it was happening right there in the middle of all of it. And we didn't go to set. And usually we go to set, but it was as closed as it could be. And they filmed in Canada. So the Canadian restrictions on ins and outs were very strict. I think they probably still are. Because it filmed, wouldn't you say, Spice, right at the height of COVID? I mean, they were in the, the hot, winter, they were in the of, hot yeah, zone. The, yeah. the winter surge of 2020. So we missed a lot of the actual, but we got reports from set and it was, we would see behind the scenes and everyone's masked and everyone's careful. They're taking tests every day and quarantining. I think it's loosening up some, don't you think, around here? For us, listen, for us, it's different because we're writers. And I, my life is full-time quarantine, just self-isolation to get my work done. So I didn't really have that much of a lifestyle change, sadly. Everybody's crying for me right now. But no, it's true. Everyone who's like wishing they had they're like, oh, I miss human contact. I'm like, yeah, that's my life. I, <laughs> I sit and make up people. I spend time with my imaginary people. My first question usually is, where are you in the world? You've been on the show before. I know you're both in LA and you live close by. I know we talked about it briefly before the episode, but has the way things changed allowed you to get any FaceTime? Or are you still working remote? I believe the last time you talked, you guys worked remote most of the time. We sort of always have worked remote. We do Mickey that anyway, I. yeah. We do that anyways. We're either talking on the phone or very often I will remote into Mickey's computer. We'll be on the phone. Mickey will be doing the typing and we'll write that way. We will you know, swap scenes, swap scripts. In terms of our process, which I think is the question you're asking, in terms of our process as a writing team, COVID didn't change that process all that much. It was a COVID-friendly process to begin with. Prior to COVID, we would get together if there was a particularly you know, nasty story problem or something that we had to crack, 
we would get together in the same room, talk it out, talk it through. And of course, we didn't do that last year. But other than that, the process has fundamentally sort of stayed the same, you know, during these, these, hard, these hard months in the world. Normally, we would go over your origin stories, but I believe we've gone over that in both of the previous episodes. We probably don't need to go over it again unless you want to. Same yeah. story. For those who are listening, if you want to check out Mickey and Tobias' bios, please check out the previous episodes. But tell us, as far as the world in your career, since we last left off, is there a continued story, obviously leading up to this film, that you'd want to fill us in on? Things that have happened, developments? We were, let's see, last time we talked, All This Time was just coming out as a book, and it did well. And now we're in development. We're writing the script for Lionsgate for that project now. I can say this because I was not a writer on the book, that it was on the New York Times bestseller for three months. So it did quite well. (laughs) It didn't suck. So (laughs) I'm less than enthusiastic. I always feel like if I get really, really happy about something, the universe kneecaps me. So I'm always like, it's all right. It's okay. And inside I'm dying, but I will never share. That's why I do the cheerleading for you, Mickey. (laughs) Thank you. But we're working on that script right now, developing that with Lionsgate and Megamix, Jillian Bower and Jonathan Levine's production company. They're brilliant. And then Nightbooks, I think we were still writing. I don't even think it was cast when we talked to you guys the last time. But it got cast. Suddenly it was like the engines came on. You know, and it happens like that. You know, you're writing, you're writing, you're taking drafts, you're, do- I mean, you're taking notes, you're doing drafts, and then... Once everybody, once it clicks into that place where the studio's happy with it, the producers are happy and everybody's happy and they start casting, suddenly tomorrow you have a movie. Like you're watching a premiere and it, it just happened so fast. So I think the last time we talked to you, we were still writing night books. I want to mm-hmm. say. Yep. Love that. I would love to focus the rest of the episode on night books. It's out now. As far as its description, Netflix has a pretty abridged description. I'll read that real quick and then. I pulled another one from Rotten Tomatoes too, just to give people a little bit more context. The Netflix description. Scary story fan Alex must tell a spine-tingling tale every night or stay trapped with his new friend in a wicked witch's magical apartment forever. And then the longer version, Alex Winslow Fegley is a creative boy with a strong passion for writing scary stories. But when he's labeled weird and rejected for what he likes, he swears he'll never write again. That's when an evil witch, Kristen Ritter, captures him in her magical apartment in New York City demands that he tell her a new tale every night if he wants to stay alive. Trapped inside with Lenore, the witch's spiteful cat, watching his every move, Alex meets Yasmin, who's played by Lydia Jewett, another young prisoner who has learned how to survive the witch's wicked whims. With Yasmin's help, Alex must learn to embrace what makes him unique, his love for scary stories, and rewrite his own destiny to break them free. Very exciting stuff. As we mentioned, this is out now. How are you feeling as the writers and work backwards as far as how you get involved in working on it in the first place? But now that it's come out, what are you feeling right now? Describe those emotions for the writers who are listening, who are maybe working on their projects and looking forward to that moment when the project is actually out in the world for people to enjoy. We are, I mean, it is a miracle when any movie gets made. And then it's, you know, a second miracle if it's a good movie. We're so happy and we're so grateful that we got it done again with a fantastic team. It was producers, amazing. yeah, producers, the executives at Netflix, director Dave, and actors and 
actresses. We costumers. Mm-hmm. The costumer, that's exactly Oh my God, right. Autumn Steed, who did the costume, it's just, they're iconic. There are going to be little girls dressing up as Natasha for Halloween, and I can't wait. Mm-hmm. It's thrilling. It's, you know, Mickey and I still talk about, we have to pinch ourselves that we get to do this and that, you know, we get to see our work on the screen. And particularly in night books, what's fun about it, it's new territory for Mickey and I, you know, sort of this children's horror and not just that, but also the magical, fantastical realm that Nightbooks inhabits, to see that expressed on the screen for the first time in our careers was something really special and remarkable. And just, you know, Mickey and I are huge fans of Harry Potter and the worlds that Harry Potter created in the books and on screen. And to see some of the magic on screen was just mind-blowing. Like Tobias said, we're blessed. Like, we look at our careers and we're like, why us? You know, sometimes you get that, like, why me? You have that with bad things and you have that with good things. Like something terrible will happen and you'll be like, why me? And then something really amazing will happen. Something that, that could happen to anyone, you know, and it's like, why me? And so we have those moments of, you know, wow, we're actually getting to do this. And it does feel like a dream until it's 3 a.m. and you're on a deadline and you're fucked up the last 30 pages of your script and you have to start over. Then it does not feel like a dream. It feels like, oh shit, I'm about to get fired. Then it's just a, a desperate struggle to hang on to the thing <laughs> that you had. It's like, oh my God, I'm about to lose it all and I'm going to do it to myself. But yeah, no, see, I come from that side of it. Spice is very optimistic. I'm optimistic, but it's, I keep it deep down inside that little dark cave I have that says <laughs> happy place. And it's like, you know, the size of a pea. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. When we last talked to you, I believe you had been in touch and maybe started working on this, but how did the inception of this project come to be? Obviously, this was a book before by J.A. White. At what point in the process of this becoming a film did you get involved? We got involved pretty early. Netflix had already picked up the rights, Netflix and Ghost House Productions and MXN were the producers. And then Netflix was the studio and they were looking for writers to adapt the book. And it was a competitive situation. And luckily, we had relationships, you know, and uh, one of the producers that we have a relationship with thought that we might be right for it. And did we want to pitch on it? And of course, we read the book and jumped at it. We wanted this job so bad. That's one thing that we're not shy about saying. When we want a job, we will go balls to the walls to get it because it was out of our genre, technically. Mm -hmm. You know, we Mm -hmm. had written a teenage love story. And then we had written a traditional horror movie. And so we were not considered kids' writers, children's writers. My 11-year-old son at the time, he read the book and he loved it and said, yeah. you know, that we should definitely go for it. And, you know, he had suffered through the curse of La Llorona. He was too young. And so it was <laughs> too scary for him. And then he suffered through Five Feet Apart again because he's an 11-year-old boy. and <laughs> It wasn't exactly a movie targeted towards him. So when Nightbooks came along, he loved it. And I and Mickey loved the idea that, wow, we could actually you know, make a movie that my family would really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And like she was saying, it'd be new territory for us. And we love to grow we as writers. We do love that. We never want to be horror writers or drama writers or love stories. You know, we want to be writers. We want to be able to do everything. And it's really kind of it's tricky to get your fingers in a lot of pies because you get branded, which is not a bad thing. You know, like Stephen King is considered a horror writer. He's the best. 
but he also writes dramas, but you don't think about those, right? You think about the horror stuff. So it's not bad to be branded. We just wanted, we were just very, very lucky to be able to branch out and the kids was the next thing. And so when we went for it, it was a competitive situation and we wanted it really badly. So we really prepared and we went in and first we had to pitch the producers and they chose the like handful of writers to take into Netflix or maybe two or three of us and we got it. So we we were involved very early. They had the rights, they had the studio and the producers and then the writers and we were the next step. So we were there pretty early, you know, breaking down the book, creating the story, the way that it would translate to film, you know, all that good stuff. We got in early. Tell us about the parties involved. Obviously, there's J.A. White, who wrote the original book. There's the director, David Yarovesky, and then Sam Raimi, and then obviously Netflix. Can you walk us through? Obviously, this is a multi-tiered question. There's a lot of people that I mentioned here. Walk us through as the writers. You're obviously adapting the book. At some point, the director is involved, comes in and works with you on the script. And then obviously, you've got a producer, obviously a studio. So walk us through what the process and the experience is like working with these different people. And obviously, some of them are very famous people. You missed a couple. I just wanted to jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. Rommel Adam was one of the producers on the movie for Ghost House with Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. And then there was Mason Novick. And Rob Tappert. Oh, Robert Tappert. Right. Rob Tappert. Mason Novick at MX Entertainment. So mm-hmm. MXN and Ghost House were the production entities. And then, of course, there was Netflix as a studio. Just wanted to mention those. And so what we did is... Mickey and I read the book. And then it was a question of, and I think Mickey has used this word before, it was a question of distillation. We needed to find how we could shrink this story into cinematic form. And so we had to decide the book was wonderful. J.A. White had created a wonderfully magical, scary, adventurous world. We had to figure out, okay, what do we lose? Or if we're not losing it, how can we scale it back? so that it can fit within the running time of a typical movie and also within the budget. And so that was sort of the initial challenge for Mickey and I. And during those early stages, we were working with the producers. And with Netflix, Nikita Maddox is the head of the children's over there, brilliant. And Allison Haskovec and Caroline Mack. And we worked with them too. It was very collaborative at the outset because they had an idea of what they wanted to see, and the producers had an idea, and we had ideas. So before we even started the first draft, we all came together a couple of times, right. maybe a few times, to talk about, okay, what do we want these stories to look like? What are we thinking? Are we going to do, you know, how do these stories within the stories work? What can we cut? What do we need? What do we think of these set pieces? Before we even went into the drafting of it. So it was very meticulous, and it was That's right. incredibly rewarding for us to work that way, because we weren't writing into a void, wondering if they were going to like it. We knew we had already had these discussions. We knew we were giving them, we're in this framework. We've decided together, this is cut. This is staying. This is moving. This is smaller. This is bigger. This is, you know, we're going to punch this and pull this and do these scares. And so it was very collaborative from the outset of us all in a room deciding what stays and what goes and being led by a really fantastic team of producers and executives over at Netflix and Ghost House and MXN. So we were in good hands to start. And that made it very safe 
for us, you know, in the writing process because we knew what our assignment was, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had very so, specific you know, goals. And yeah, and that was extremely helpful. A lot of times, and this is not, this is not wrong, but it's yeah, more it's difficult. If, yeah, a lot of times there's more of a gray area about what a studio or producer or whoever wants, you know, and so we have to find that way, which can also be very rewarding in and of itself. It's also fun to be working for people who kind of know what they want and are good at knowing what Mm -hmm. they want and what the audience wants. Better than good, they're expert at it. Exactly. And in that case, we learn a lot. It was, you know, we're always learning. So to work with a team like that, like what we had on this project, who had ideas and knew what the audience was going to want and how it would play and how it would work, it was very, very enlightening for us as well, especially in a genre we hadn't, it was Mm -hmm. our first crack at children's, you know, Mm -hmm. heavily leaned on them. A great example of that, I think, was finding how scary to make it. Where is that line between "Eh, not really scary enough and way too scary for the intended audience? And so this team that Mickey and I were working with really helped in that way. You know, we intentionally, our first draft, we sort of intentionally wrote. We went for it. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. We went for it because, you know, to be honest, one of the reasons we had gotten into the room, one of the reasons why Netflix and the producers responded to us is we had written a horror movie, authentic horror movie, and they were interested in us bringing our horror chops to this, you know, to this project. So our first draft, we very intentionally said, well, this is probably too scary, but let's just go for it. Let's just do it. it, mm -hmm, And then it can always be dialed back. It can always be modulated. And that's when you know, Ghost House, MXN, Netflix, that's when the collaboration really started. Okay, let's bring this down a little bit. Let's heighten this. Let's reduce this. And let's just find that really narrow path that, you know, kids will be scared, but in a fun way rather mm-hmm. than in a horrific way. And then that. give them some horrific scares just to taste of them, you know? <laughs> yeah. It could be so much worse, kiddos, you know? We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favourite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favourite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week.
we've had you on the podcast before, obviously you're writing partners, but I think it's important to highlight the fact that you are working on this together. How does being writing partners, how did that give you a competitive advantage to working on this project and seeing it through to its completion? Mickey is approximately 99.5% more charismatic than I am in a room. <laughs> and so that's very helpful when, you know, when you're in a competitive pitch situation. It's helpful not only to pitch a good story, but also to have some charisma with it. So that's super helpful. He says that, but there are days when that shit gets out of control. And he's like, oh, wow. Because <laughs> that can go one way or the other. That could be a really bad combo. So it's always, are we going to get jobs today or lose jobs today? Mm -hmm. But you know, it's actually a good question because Mickey and I have found that just having the two of us in a room, yeah, I don't know, it makes the space instantly more comfortable because we can riff off of each other. And it becomes more casually fun. conversational. It's just fun. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a lot fun. more fun. You know, when it's kind of one executive and one writer, it's very difficult to make it not feel like a job interview. As soon as you add, you know, a third person into the mix, I don't know, it just, the vibe changes and it becomes easier for everybody is what Vicky and I have found. And I think too, that having two voices I don't want to speak for producers and executives because I can't be sure about this, but I feel like they're getting two for one, you know, and they're getting, it's a wider net because there's a second person catching it. Does that make sense? Spice, can you translate that? <laughs> yeah, this is I think how it's, it works. I'm like, pull that out and tell them what I'm trying to say. I think, again, as Mickey said, we can't really Well, speak as Mickey for, tried to say. We can't really speak for you know, producers, directors, studio executives. But definitely, it feels to us that it feels safer for them to be working with a writing team because they're not putting their eggs all in one basket, one person. It's four hands instead of two. It's, you know, two brains instead of one. It's two mm -hmm. talent pools instead of one. It's more room to swim, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hopping more into the actual process side of things you mentioned earlier, you alluded to the deadlines. Sometimes you said it's not as fun when you're up against the deadline. Walk us through what those deadlines look like. What is the actual structure and process for writing a feature film look like on a day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week basis? And for those who want to window into that world, what does it look like? Well, we do a first draft, and then you usually get like a first draft and a guaranteed rewrite. And then the second draft is for the studio. And then you generally hold on to that third draft for a director to come in because they want a director's take. Because the director's going to come in like, Dave, we had the night books draft and it was really fun. And he came in with a tone, with a set of ideas that he wanted to lay over all of this. And so we rewrote it. You rewrite for the director to give them their vision on top of what you've already created for the producers and the executives. Your director comes in and they're the boss, you know? Like it's your movie, it's the writers and producers movie until the director comes in and then it's the director's movie. That's their job. You know, you set all that aside and try to put their vision with your vision and make it gel in a way that is palatable for everyone. But I mean, you know, you want to, it's incredibly important to us that we're pleasers. We want to give the people who hired us exactly 
what they want. They hired us because they're putting their faith in us out of everyone else they could have chosen. They're putting their faith in us to deliver what they want. And when we're on assignment work, that is what we're after. It's a different story, I think, when we're working on an original or something that comes from us. But if we're on assignment work, which we are all night books, and if we're on assignment work, it is our job to deliver to them exactly what they want with our flavor, with our touch on it, with what they hired us for, which is our talent and our you know skills and our storytelling ability. But we also want it to be exactly what they want. Plus, you know, we want to surprise them with some fun stuff. So in that sense, I take deadlines very seriously because someone's paying me and I'm incredibly lucky to be, and when I say I, I mean us, Tobias and me, but this is how I feel about it. Spice has his own feelings about deadlines, but mine are, they're incredibly important. Someone's paying you to do your job on time. They're giving you this much time, which is why right now I'm freaking the fuck out because I'm behind (laughs) on a deadline. Tobias, how do you feel about deadlines? (laughs) I actually love the structure of deadlines that are in writing contracts, because not only do we, Mickey and I, have deadlines in terms of delivering the various drafts of the script, what I also found interesting years ago when we got our first writing contract is there's actually also deadlines for the people that are reading our script. There's these reading periods, and they're actually contractually spelled out in a typical writer's agreement. You know, you deliver your first draft and then the producers and the studio have, you know, four to six weeks, I think, typically to read and respond to the first draft. And I like that. It's great for Mickey and I to kind of understand, okay, we have this much time to write the first draft. We have this much time to hear from them, especially if we have multiple, you know, thoughts on the fire. It gives a little bit of sense of scheduling structure. Okay, we can squeeze this in here. We can squeeze this in here. There's Tobias for you. He's like, it gives a sense of scheduling structure. (laughs) And that's great. But what their reading time does for me is if I don't hear back from them in the first three days, I don't think I'm fired. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Tobias is like, yes, because generally in the contracts we've had, they have half as much time as we had to write it. They have that much time to read it. So if it's a 10-week contract, they have five weeks to read and give notes and process. And for Tobias, those five weeks mean, okay, well, they have five weeks we're going to slot these things in here. And I'm thinking, oh, good. If I don't hear from them in the first week, it doesn't mean we're fired. And I don't think only Mickey and I and writers in general are a fan of deadlines because, you know, you want everybody who is making a movie wants to keep the momentum going. The passage of time with a film, you know, film is a very fragile thing. It can sort of go off the rails. It can hit a dead end quite easily. And so to sort of have this contract that says, okay, these things have to happen by this time. It just keeps the train, you know, rolling. And I think everybody, not just writers, I think everybody involved is appreciative of that, that there's some general idea, okay, this is going to happen in this sort of time. Let's keep going. Let's keep rolling. I love that. Before we wrap up, usually we ask if there was one piece of advice that you would choose to give to the writers who are listening, what's the one thing you'd say? I know we had been talking about building relationships. Using that as the lens for this question, what would you say to those writers listening who are hoping to build relationships, not just on a business level, keeping them as friends and finding that balance between those two? Yeah. I think if we go past the obvious first steps of you know writing, which is know your skills, know your talents, know your job, and be really, really good at it, 
when you get in the room, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you in the sense that what we have found, what we think, I think Spice, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and tell me to shut my pie hole, but what we have found is that they're also looking for someone who might be fun to work with and easy to work with. It's not just about your script or just about your talent or just about what you can bring. It's about all those things. And then the ribbon around all of it is, is this going to be fun for us? Are you going to be a good match for this team? And that, I think, it goes a long way to getting the job. I think Mickey has said it really nicely. You know, film and TV, it's a rather unique art form in how deeply collaborative it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, in pre-production and even during production, Mickey and I sometimes were spending more time with the people making nightbooks than any other person, including our families in our lives. Yeah. You know, so people are spending a ton of time together for many months, sometimes many years, depending on how big the project is. And because of that profound degree of teammanship collaboration, Mickey is absolutely right. One of the things people are looking for when you're meeting them for the first time, when you're pitching for the first time, is they're they're looking for someone they can just you know get along, someone who will listen, as well as someone who will ask questions in addition to providing answers. And it seems obvious. It seems like, of course, you should be a nice, cooperative, collaborative person to anybody you meet in the business. But it's, especially for me, I think it was definitely something that was a learned skill is like, yeah, this is, I need to, you know, I need to focus on making sure that I'm, I'm not just trying to pitch myself. I'm not just trying to say, I can do this and this is what I would do. And this is how I would, you know, craft the scene or shape the story. It's also saying, what do you want of me? I'm Mm -hmm. just repeating basically what Mickey has said. What do you want of me? What do you want me to do for you? What can we do to help you have what you want? Because you're paying for it. And that's a huge thing. Collaboration is huge. And it's harder than some people might think it is when you have, I'm speaking not because we are incredibly collaborative. And I think that's what really, really helps us in what we're doing. We are open. Like you just, all ideas are welcome. Ours, bad ones, good ones, whatever. And it's innate in our partnership, right? Yeah. I mean, at the heart of Mickey and I and our work together is collaboration. And so I yeah, think that maybe helps us to understand that collaboration goes beyond our partnership. Collaboration goes to everybody who, you know, worked on Nightbooks. Love it. As I mentioned, Mickey and Tobias's new film, Nightbooks, premiered on September 15th. And it's one of my favorite streaming films right now. So please, if you're listening, check it out. Mickey and Tobias, did you want to plug anything before we head out? I plug you guys. You let me go totally (laughs) messy and you make it all sound so good by the time it's done. We really appreciate your insights, your time, and your honesty. Even little things like talking about your deadlines and stuff like that. It's rare that people get so candid with it. And it means a lot to the listeners who really want to get a window into the How it all happens. Yeah. Exactly. And what to expect when you get in. Also, Mickey, you've been on the podcast. This is your third time. We look forward to many more. We appreciate you. Thank you so much again. And going back to the deadline thing, I'm sure you got to get back to your writing. So we're going to let you go. But thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. It was an honor. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you so much. And thanks for listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. 
If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.